CD6 Vimes turned. A dwarf, short even by dwarf standards, was standing behind him. He seemed to be expecting a reply. Uh, every decision? Oh, yes. Uh, were they all good? said Vimes. The important thing is that they were all made, said the king. Thank you, young dwarf. You may straighten up. Cheery was bowing. Sorry, should I be doing that, said Vimes. You're not the king, are you? Not yet. I, I'm sorry, I was expecting someone more, uh, do go on, someone more kingly. The low king sighed. I, I meant, I mean, you look just like an ordinary dwarf, said Vimes, weakly. This time the king smiled. He was slightly shorter than average for dwarfs, and dressed in the usual almost uniform of leather and home-forged chain mail. He looked old, but dwarfs started looking old around the age of five years, and were still looking old three hundred years later, and he had that musical cadence to his speech that Vimes associated with Clamedos. If he'd asked Vimes to pass the ketchup in Gimlet's whole food delicatessen, Vimes wouldn't have given him a second look. "'This diplomacy business,' said the king. "'Are you getting the hang of it, do you think?' "'It doesn't come easy, I must admit, uh, Your Majesty. "'I believe you have been until now a watchman in Ankh-Morpork. Uh, yes. "'And you had a famous ancestor, I believe, who was a regicide. "'Here it comes,' thought Vimes. "'Yes, stone-faced Vimes,' he said as levelly as possible. "'I've always thought that that was a bit unfair, though. "'It was only one king. It wasn't as if it was a hobby.' "'But you don't like kings,' said the dwarf. "'I don't meet many, sir,' said Vimes, "'hoping that this would pass for a diplomatic answer. "'It seemed to satisfy the king. "'I went to Ankh-Morpork once when I was a young dwarf,' he said, "'walking towards a long table piled high with scrolls. Uh, "'Really?' "'Lawn ornaments,' they called me, and what was it? "'Ah, yes, short ass. "'Some children threw stones at me. "'I'm sorry.' "'I expect you'll tell me that sort of thing doesn't happen any more. "'It doesn't happen as much, but you always get idiots who don't move with the times.' "'The king gave Vimes a piercing glance. "'Indeed, the times. "'But now they're always Ankh-Morpork's times, see?' "'I'm sorry? "'When people say, we must move with the times, "'they really mean, you must do it my way. "'And there are some who would say that Ankh-Morpork is a kind of vampire.' It bites, and what it bites turns into copies of itself. It sucks, too. It seems all our best go to Ankh-Morpork, where they live in squalor. You leave us dry. Vimes was at a loss. It was clear that the little figure now sitting at the long table was a lot brighter than he was, although right now he felt as dim as a penny candle in any case. It was also clear that the king hadn't slept for quite some time. He decided to go for honesty. "'Can't really answer that, sir,' he said, adopting a variant on his talking-to-veterinary approach. "'But—yes?' "'I'd wonder, you know, if I was king, "'I'd wonder why people were happier living in squalor in Ankh-Morpork "'than staying back home, sir.' "'Ah, you're telling me how I should think now?' "'No, sir, just how I think. "'There's dwarf bars all over Ankh-Morpork.' and they've got mining tools wired to the wall, and there's dwarfs in them every night quaffing beer and singing sad songs about how they wish they were back in the mountains digging for gold. But if you said to them, find the gates open, off you go, send us a postcard, they'd say, oh, well, yeah, I'd love to, but we've just got the new workshop finished. Maybe next year we'll go to Oberwald. They come to the mountains to die, said the king. They live in Ankh-Morpork. Why is this, do you think? I couldn't say. Because no one tells them how to, I suppose. And now you want our golden iron, said the king. Is there nothing we can keep? I don't know about that either, sir. I wasn't trained for this job. The king muttered something under his breath. Then, much louder, he said, I can offer you no favours, Your Excellency. These are difficult times, see. But my real job is finding things out, said Vimes. If there is anything I could do to... The king thrust the papers at Vimes. Your letters of accreditation, Your Excellency. Their contents have been noted. 
and that shuts me up, Vimes thought. I would ask you one thing, though, the king went on. Yes, sir? Really, thirty men and a dog? No, there were only seven men. I killed one of them because I had two. How did the others die? Er, uh, victims of circumstance, sir. Well, then, your secret is safe with me. Good morning, Miss Littlebottom. Cheery looked stunned. The king gave her a brief smile. Ah, the rights of the individual, a famous Ankh-Morpork invention, or so they say. Thank you, Dee. His Excellency was just leaving. You may send in the Copperhead delegation. As Vimes was ushered out, he saw another party of dwarfs assembled in the anteroom. One or two of them nodded at him as they were herded in. Dee turned back to Vimes. I hope you didn't tear his majesty. Someone else has already been doing that by the look of it. These are sleepless times, said the ideas taster. Scone turned up yet, said Vimes innocently. Your Excellency, if you persist in this attitude, a complaint will go to your Lord Veterinary. He does so look forward to them. Was it this way out? It was the last word said until Vimes and his guards were back in the coach and the doors to daylight were opening ahead of them. Out of the corner of his eye, Vimes saw that Cheery was shaking. Certainly it's you done it, the cold air after the warmth underground, he ventured. Cheery grinned in relief. Yes, it does, she said. Seen quite a decent sort, said Vimes. What was that he muttered when I said I hadn't been trained? He said, who has, sir? Sounded like it. All that arguing. It's not a case of sitting on the throne and saying, do this, do that, then. Dwarfs are very argumentative, sir. Of course, many wouldn't agree. But none of the big dwarf clans are happy about this. You know how it is. The Copperheads didn't want Albrecht, and the Schmalzbergers wouldn't support anyone called Glodson. The Ankh-Morpork dwarfs were split both ways. And Rhys comes from a little coal-mining clan near Clamedos that isn't important enough to be on anyone's side. You mean... He didn't get to be king because everyone liked him, but because no one disliked him enough. That's right, sir. Vimes glanced at the crumpled letters that the king had thrust into his hand. By daylight he could see the faint scribble on one corner. There were just two words. Midnight, see? Humming to himself, he tore the piece of paper off and rolled it into a ball. And now for the damn vampire, he said. Don't worry, sir, said Cheery. What's the worst she can do? Bite your head off. Thank you for that, Corporal. Tell me, those robes some of the dwarfs were wearing, I know they wear them on the surface so they're not polluted by the nasty sunlight, but why wear them down here? It's traditional, sir. Eh, uh, they were worn by the... Well, it's what you'd call the knocker men, sir. What did they do? Well, you know about fire damp. It's a gas you get in mines sometimes. It explodes. Vimes saw the images in his mind as Cheery explained. The miners would clear the area if they were lucky, and the knocker man would go in wearing layer after layer of chain mail and leather, carrying his sack of wicker globes stuffed with rags and oil, and his long pole, and his slingshot. Down in the mines all alone, he'd hear the knockers, Aggie Hammerthief and all the other things that made noises deep under the earth. There could be no light, because light would mean sudden roaring death the knocker-man would feel his way through the utter dark far below the surface. There was a type of cricket that lived in the mines. It chirruped loudly in the presence of fire-damp. The knocker-man would have one in a box, tied to his hat. When it sang, a knocker-man who was either very confident or extremely suicidal would step back, light the torch on the end of his pole and thrust it ahead of him. The more careful knocker-man would step back rather more, and slingshot a ball of burning rags into the unseen death. Either way, he'd trust in his thick leather clothes to protect him from the worst of the blast. Initially, the dangerous trade did not run in families because who'd marry a knocker-man? They were dead dwarfs walking. But sometimes a young dwarf would ask to become one. His family would be proud, wave him goodbye, and then speak of him as if he was dead, because that made it easier. Sometimes, though, Knockermen came back, and the ones that survived went on to survive again, because surviving is a matter of practice. And sometimes they would talk a little of what they heard, all alone in the deep mines, the tap-tapping of dead dwarfs trying to get back into the world, the distant laughter of Aggie Hammerthief, 
the heartbeat of the turtle that carried the world. Knockermen became kings. Bimes, listening with his mouth open, wondered why the hell it was that dwarfs believed that they had no religion and no priests. Being a dwarf was a religion. People went into the dark for the good of the clan and heard things and were changed and came back to tell. And then, fifty years ago, a dwarf tinkering in Ankh-Morpork had found that if you put a simple fine mesh over your lantern flame, it had burned blue in the presence of the gas but wouldn't explode. It was a discovery of immense value to the good of dwarfdom, and, as so often happens with such discoveries, almost immediately led to a war. And afterwards, there were two kinds of dwarf, said Cheery sadly. There's the copperheads, who all use the lamp and the patent gas exploder, and the schmaltzbergers, who stick to the old ways. Of course, we're all dwarfs, she said, but relations are rather... strained. I bet they are. Oh, no, all dwarfs recognise the need for the low king. It's just that they don't quite see why knockermen are still so powerful. It's all very sad, said Cheery. Did I tell you my brother Snorri went off to be a knockerman? I don't think so. He died in an explosion somewhere under Borogravia, but he was doing what he wanted to do. After a moment, she added conscientiously, Well, up to the moment when the blast hit him, after that I don't think so. Now the coach was rumbling up the mountain on one side of the town. Vimes looked down at the little round helmet beside him. Funny how you think you know about people, he thought. The wheels clattered over the wood of a drawbridge. As castles went, this one looked as though it could be taken by a small squad of not very efficient soldiers. Its builder had not been thinking about fortifications. He'd been influenced by fairy tales and possibly by some of the more ornamental sorts of cake. It was a castle for looking at. For defence, putting a blanket over your head might be marginally safer. The coach stopped in the courtyard. To Vimes's amazement, a familiar figure in a shabby black coat came shuffling up to open the door. Igor? Yes, master? What the hell are you doing here? Uh, I'm opening this here door, master, said Igor. But why aren't you... Then it stole over Vimes that Igor was different. This Igor had both eyes the same colour, and some of his scars were in different places. Sorry, he mumbled, I thought you were Igor. Oh, you mean my cousin Igor, said Igor. He works down at the embassy. How's he getting on? Uh, he's looking... Well, said Vimes, pretty well, yes. Did he mention how Igor's getting on, sir? said Igor, shambling away so fast that Vimes had to run to keep up. Only none of us have heard from him, not even Igor, who's always been very close. I'm sorry, is your whole family called Igor? Oh, yes, sir, it avoids confusion. It does? Yes, sir. Anyone who is anyone in Uberwald wouldn't dream of employing any other servant but an eagle. Ah, here we are, sir. The mistress is expecting you. They'd walked under an arch, and Eagle was opening a door with far more studs in it than was respectable. This led to a hallway. Are you sure you want to come? said Vimes to Cheery. She is a vampire. Vampires don't worry me, sir. Lucky for you, said Vimes. He glanced at the silent Tantony. The man was looking strained. "'Tell our friend here he won't be needed "'and he's to wait for us in the coach, the lucky devil,' he said. "'But don't translate that last bit.' Igor opened an inner door as Tantony almost ran out of the hall. "'His grace, his excellency!' "'Ah, Sir Samuel,' said Lady Margolotta, "'do come in. "'I know you don't like being called your grace. "'Isn't this tiresome? "'But it has to be done, doesn't it?' It wasn't what he'd expected. Vampires weren't supposed to wear pearls, or jumpers in pink. In Vimes's world, they didn't wear sensible flat shoes either, or have a sitting room in which every conceivable piece of furniture was upholstered in chintz. Lady Margolotta looked like someone's mother, although possibly someone who'd had an expensive education and a pony called Fidget. She moved like someone who had grown used to her body, and in general looked like what Vimes had heard described as a woman of a certain age. He'd never been quite certain what age that was. But things weren't quite right. There were bats embroidered on the pink jumper, and the pattern on the furniture had a sort of 
bat look. The little dog with a bow round its neck, lying curled up on a cushion, looked more like a rat than a dog. Vimes was less certain about that one, though. Dogs of that nature tended to look a bit rat-like in any case. The effect was as if someone had read the music but had never heard it played. He realised she was politely waiting for him and bowed stiffly. "'Oh, don't bother with that, please,' said Lady Margolotta. "'Do take a seat.' She walked over to a cabinet and opened it. "'Do you fancy a bull's blood?' "'Is that the drink with the vodka, because—' "'No,' said Lady Margolotta quietly. "'This, I'm afraid, is the other kind. Still we have that in common, don't we? Neither of us drinks alcohol.' "'I believe you were an alcoholic, Sir Samuel.' "'No,' said Vimes, completely taken aback. "'I was a drunk. "'You have to be richer than I was to be an alcoholic.' "'Ah, well said. "'I have lemonade, if you wish. "'And, Miss Littlebottom, "'we don't have beer, you'll be pleased to hear.' Cheery looked at Vimes in amazement. Eh, "'Perhaps a sherry,' she said. "'Certainly. "'You may leave us, Igor.' "'Isn't he a treasure?' she added, as Igor retired. "'He certainly looks as though he's just been dug up,' said Vimes. This was not going according to his mental script. "'Oh, all Igors look like that. He's been in the family for almost two hundred years, most of him anyway.' "'Really?' "'Extremely popular with the young ladies, for some reason. All Igors are. I found it best not to speculate of I.' Lady Margolotta gave Vimes a bright smile. "'Well, here's to your stay, Sir Samuel.' "'You know a lot about me,' said Vimes weakly. "'Most of it good, I assure you,' she said. "'Although you're inclined to forget your paperwork, "'you get exasperated easily, you are far too sentimental, "'you regret your own lack of education "'and distrust erudition in others, "'you are immensely proud of your city "'and you wonder if you may be a class traitor. "'My... "'Friends in Ankh-Morpork were unable to find out anything very bad, "'and, believe me, they are pretty good at that sort of thing. "'And you loathe vampires. "'I quite understandable. "'We're dreadful people, by and large. "'But you—' "'I try to look on the bright side,' said Lady Margolotta. "'But, anyway, how did you like the king?' "'He's very quiet,' said Vimes, the diplomat.' Try cunning. He will have found out a lot more about you than you did about him, I'm sure. Would you like a biscuit? I don't eat them myself, of course, but there's a little man down in the town who does wonderful chocolate. Igor? Yes, mistress, said Igor. Vimes nearly sprayed his lemonade across the room. He was out of the room, he said. I saw him go. I heard the door shut. Igor has strange ways. Do give Sir Samuel a napkin, Igor. "'You said the king was cunning,' said Vimes, mopping lemonade off his breeches. Igor put down a plate of biscuits and shuffled out of the room. "'Did I? No, I don't think I could possibly have said that. "'It's not the diplomatic thing to say,' said Lady Margolotta smoothly. "'I'm sure we all support the new low king, the choice of dwarfdom in general, "'even if they thought they were getting a traditionalist and got an unknown quantity.' "'Did you just say that last bit?' said Vimes, awash on a sea of diplomacy and damp trousers. "'Absolutely not. You know their scone of stone has been stolen.' "'They say it hasn't,' said Vimes. "'Do you believe them?' "'No. The coronation cannot go ahead without it. Did you know that?' "'We'll have to wait until they bake another one,' said Vimes. "'No. There will be no more low kings,' said Lady Margolotta. "'Legitimacy, you see.' The scone represents continuity all the way to Barayan Bloodaxe. They say he sat on it while it is still soft, and left his impression, as it were. You mean kingship has passed from ba backside to backside? Humans believe in crowns, don't they? Yeah, but at least they're at the other end. Thrones, then, Lady Margolotta sighed. People set such store by strange things. Crowns, relics, garlic... Anyway, there will be a civil war over the leadership, which Albrecht will surely win, and he'll cease all trading with Ankh-Morpork. Did you know that? He thinks the place is evil. I know it is, said Vimes, and I live there. 
I've heard that he plans to declare all dwarfs their Doharak, the vampire went on. Thymes heard Cheery gasp. It means not dwarfs. That's very big of him, said Vimes. I shouldn't think our lads would worry about that. Um, said Cheery. Quite so. The young lady looks worried, and you'd do well to listen to her, Sir Samuel. Excuse me, said Vimes, but what is all this to you? You really don't drink at all, Sir Samuel? No? Not even one? No, said Vimes more sharply. You'd know that if you knew anything about... Yet you keep half a bottle in your bottom drawer as a sort of permanent test, said Lady Margolotta. Now that, Sir Samuel, suggests a man who wears his hair shuts on the inside. I want to know who's been saying all this. Lady Margolotta sighed. Vimes got the impression that he'd failed another test. I am rich, Sir Samuel. Vampires tend to be, didn't you know? Lord Vetinari, I know, believes that information is currency. But everyone knows that currency has always been information. Money doesn't need to talk, it merely has to listen. She stopped and sat watching Vimes, as if she'd suddenly decided to listen. Vimes moved uncomfortably under the steady gaze. How is Havelock Vetinari? she said. The patrician? Oh, fine. He must be quite old now. I've never really been certain of how old he is, said Vimes. About my age, I suppose. Then she stood up suddenly. This has been an interesting meeting, Sir Samuel. I trust Lady Sibyl is well? Uh, yes. Good. I am so glad. We will meet again, I am sure. Igor will see you out. My regards to the Baron when you see him. Pat him on the head for me. What the hell was that all about, Cherry? said Vimes as the coach set off down the hill again. Which bit, sir? Practically all of it, really. Why should Ank Morpork dwarfs object if someone says they're not dwarfs? They know they're dwarfs. They won't be subject to dwarf law, sir. I didn't know they were. I mean, it's like how you live your life, sir. Marriages, burials, that sort of thing. Marriages won't be legal. Old dwarfs won't be allowed to be buried back home, and that'd be terrible. Every dwarf dreams of going back home when he's old and starting up a little mine. Every dwarf? Even the ones who were born in Ank Morpork? Home can mean all sorts of things, sir, said Cherry. There's other things, too. Contracts won't be valid. Dwarfs like good, solid rules, sir. We've got laws in Ain't More Pork, too, more or less. Between themselves, dwarfs prefer to use their own, sir. I bet the copperhead dwarfs won't like it if that happens. Yes, sir, there'll be a split and another war. She sighed. But why was she going on about drink? I don't know, sir. I don't like em. Never have done, never will. Yes, sir. Did you see that rat? Yes, sir. I think she was laughing at me. The coach rolled through the streets of Bionk once more. How big a war? A worse one than the one fifty years ago, I expect, said Cheery. I don't recall people talking about that one, said Vimes. Most humans didn't know about it, said Cheery. It mostly took place underground, undermining passages and digging invasion tunnels and so on. Perhaps a few houses fell into mysterious holes and people didn't get their coal, but that was about it. You mean dwarfs just try to collapse mines on other dwarfs? Oh, yes. I thought you said they were all law-abiding. Oh, yes, sir. Very law-abiding. Just not very merciful. Ye gods, thought Vimes, as the coach rolled over the bridge in the centre of town. I haven't been sent to a coronation. I've been sent to a war that hasn't started yet. He glanced up. Tantony was watching him intently, but looked away quickly. Lady Margolotta watched the coach until it reached the gates of the town. She stood back a little from the window. There was a slight overcast, but habits of preservation died hard. What a very angry man, Igor. Yes, mistress. You can see it piling up behind his patience. I wonder how far he can be pushed. I've brought the hearth around, mistress. Oh, is it that late? We'd better be going, then. Everyone feels despondent if I miss a meeting, you know. The castle on the other side of the valley was much more rugged than Lady Margolotta's confectionery item. Even so, the gates were wide open and didn't look as though they were often closed. The main door was tall and heavy-looking. 
The only thing that suggested it hadn't been ordered from the standard castle catalogue was the smaller, narrow door a few feet high set into it. "'What's that for?' said Vimes. "'Even a dwarf would bump their head.' "'I suppose it depends on what shape you are when you go in,' said Cheery darkly. The main door opened as soon as Vimes had laid his hand on the wolf's head knocker, but he was ready this time. "'Good morning, Igor,' he said. "'Good day, Your Excellency,' said Igor, bowing. "'Igor and Igor, send their regards, Igor. "'Thank you, Your Excellency. "'Since you mention it, "'could I put a parcel on your coat for Igor?' "'You mean the Igor at the Embassy?' "'That's who I said, sir,' said Igor patiently. "'He asked me if I could lend him a hand.' "'Yep, no problem now.' "'Good. "'It's well wrapped up, and the ice will keep it nice and fresh. "'Would you step this way? "'The master is changing at the moment.' Igor shambled into a wide hall, one side of which was mostly fireplace, and bowed out. "'Did he say what I thought he said?' said Vimes. "'About the hand and ice?' "'It's not what it sounds like, sir,' said Cheery. "'I hope so. My God, look at that damned thing!' A huge red flag hung from the rafters. In the middle of it was a black wolf's head, its mouth full of stylized flashes of lightning. "'Their new flag, I think,' said Cheery. "'I thought it was just a crest with a double-headed bat. "'Perhaps they thought it was time for a change, sir.' "'Ah, Your Excellency, isn't Sibyl with you?' "'The woman who had entered was Angua, but padded somewhat with years. "'She was wearing a long, loose green gown, "'very old-fashioned by Ankh-Morpork standards, "'although there are some styles that never go out of date on the right figure. "'She was brushing her hair as she walked across the floor. "'Ah, uh, she's staying at the Embassy today. "'We had a rather difficult journey.' "'You would be the Baroness Seraphine von Oberwald.' "'And you're Sam Vimes. "'Sibyl's letters are all about you. "'The Baron won't be long. "'We were out hunting and lost track of time.' "'I expect it's a lot of work, seeing to the horses,' said Vimes politely. "'Seraphine's smile went strange for a moment. "'Ha, yes,' she said. "'Can I get Igor to fetch you a drink?' "'No, thank you.' She sat down on one of the overstuffed chairs and beamed at him. "'You've met the new king, Your Excellency?' "'This morning. I believe he's having trouble.' "'What makes you think that?' said Vimes. Seraphine looked startled. "'I thought everyone knew.' "'Well, I've hardly been here five minutes,' said Vimes. "'I probably don't count as everyone.' Now, he was pleased to note, she looked puzzled. "'We just heard there was some problem,' she said. "'Oh, well, a new king, a coronation to organise, "'a few problems are bound to occur,' he said. "'Well,' he thought, "'so this is diplomacy. "'It's like lying only to a better class of people.' "'Yes, of course.' "'Angua is well,' said Vimes. "'Are you sure you won't have a drink?' "'said Seraphine quickly, standing up. "'Ah, here is my husband.' "'The Baron entered the room like a whirlwind "'that had swept up several dogs. "'They bounded ahead of him and danced around him.' "'Hello, hello!' he boomed. Vimes looked at an enormous man, not fat, not tall, just built perhaps one-tenth over scale. He didn't so much have a face with a beard as a beard with, peeking over the top in that narrow gap between the moustache and the eyebrows, small remnants of face. He bore down on Vimes in a cloud of leaping bodies, hair and a smell of old carpets. Vimes was ready for the handshake when it came, but even so had to grimace as his bones were ground together. "'Good of you to come, hey? Heard so much about you.' "'But not enough,' Vimes thought. "'He wondered if he'd ever have the use of his hand again. "'It was still being gripped. "'The dogs had transferred their attention to him. "'He was being sniffed. "'Greatest respect for Ankh-Morpork, hey?' said the Baron. "'Ag, uh, good,' said Vimes. "'Blood was getting no further than his wrist. "'Have seat!' the Baron barked. "'Vimes had been trying to avoid the word, "'but that was exactly how the man spoke.' in short, sharp sentences, every one an exclamation. He was herded towards a chair, then the Baron let go of his hand and flung himself onto the huge carpet, the excited dogs piling on top of him. Seraphine made a noise somewhere between a growl and the ch of wifely disapproval. Obediently, the Baron pushed the dogs aside and flung himself into a chair. "'You'll have to take us as you'll find us,' said Seraphine, smiling with her mouth alone. "'This has always been a very informal household.' "'It's a very nice place,' said Vimes weakly, staring around the enormous room. Trophy heads lined the wall, but at least there were no trolls. No weapons, either. 
There were no spears, no rusty old swords, not even a broken bow, which was practically against the law of castle furnishing. He stared at the wall again, and then at the carving over the fireplace, and then his gaze travelled down. One of the dogs, and Vimes had to be clear about this, he was using the term dogs merely because they were indoors and that was a place where the word wolf was not usually encountered, was watching him. He'd never seen such an appraising look on a creature's face. It was weighing him up. There was something familiar about the pale gold hair that was a sort of mane. In fact, it looked quite like Angua, but heavier set. And there was another difference, which was small yet horribly significant. Like Angua, it had this sense of movement stilled, but whereas Angua always looked as if she was poised to flee, this one looked poised to leap. The embassy is to your liking. We owned it, you know, before we sold it to Lord v l v Vet Inari, said Vimes, reluctantly taking his eyes off the wolf. Of course, your people made a lot of changes, she went on. We've made a few more, said Vimes, recalling all those patches of shiny woodwork where the hunting trophies had been removed. I must say, I was really impressed with the bath re I'm sorry. There had been almost a yelp from the Baron. Seraphine was glaring at her husband. Yes, she said sharply. I gather interesting things have been done. You're so lucky to have the thermal springs, said Vimes. And this was diplomacy too, he thought, when you let your mouth chatter away while you watched people's eyes. It's just like being a copper. Sibyl wants to take the waters at Bart Heiss's butt. Behind him he heard a faint growl from the Baron and saw the look of annoyance flash across Seraphine's face. "'I'm saying the wrong thing,' he said innocently. "'My husband is a little unwell at the moment,' said Seraphine, in the special wife voice which Vimes recognised as meaning, "'He thinks he's fine right now, but just you wait till I get him alone.' "'I suppose I'd better present my credentials,' said Vimes, pulling out the letter. Seraphine reached across quickly and took it from his hand. "'I shall read it,' she said, smiling sweetly. "'Of course, it's a mere formality. Everyone's heard of Commander Vimes. I mean no offence, of course, but we were a little surprised when the patrician—' "'Lord Vet Inari,' said Vimes, helpfully, putting a slight stress on the first syllable and hearing the growl on cue. "'Yes, indeed. Said that you would be coming. We were expecting one of the more experienced diplomats.' "'Oh, I can hand round the thin cucumber sandwiches like anything,' said Vimes. "'And if you want little golden balls of chocolate piled up in an heap, I'm your man.' She gave him a slow, blank stare. "'Your pardon, Your Excellency,' she said. "'Morpokion is not my first language, and I fear we may have inadvertently misled one another. I gather that you are in real life a policeman?' "'In real life, yes,' said Vimes. They've always been against a police force in Bionk, said the Baroness. We feel it interferes with the liberties of the individual. Well, I have certainly heard that argument advanced, said Vimes. Of course, it depends on whether the individual you are thinking of is yourself or the one climbing out of the bathroom, he noticed the grimace, window with the family silver in a sack. Happily, security has never been a problem for us, said Seraphine. I'm not surprised, said Vimes. I mean, because of all the walls and gates and things. I do hope you will bring Sibyl to the reception this evening, but I see that we are keeping you, and I know you must have much to do. Igor will show you out. Yes, mistress, said Igor behind Vimes. Vimes could fear the river of fury building up behind the levees of his mind. I'll tell Sergeant Angua you asked after her, he said, standing up. Indeed said Seraphine. But right now I'm looking forward to a really relaxing bath, said Vimes, and watched with satisfaction as both the Baron and his wife flinched. Good day to you. Cheery marched along beside him across the hallway. Don't say a word until we're out of here, hissed Vimes. Sir? Because I want to get out of here, said Vimes. Several of the dogs had followed them out. They weren't growling, they hadn't bared their teeth, but they were carrying themselves with rather more purpose than Vimes had come to associate with groin sniffers in general. "'I've put the parcel in the coach, Your Excellency,' said Igor, opening the coach door and knuckling his forehead. 
"'I'll be sure to give it to Igor,' said Vimes. "'Oh, not to Igor, sir. This is for Igor.' "'Oh, right.' Vimes looked out of the windows as the horses trotted away. The golden-haired wolf had come to the steps and was watching him leave. He sat back as the coach rumbled out of the castle and closed his eyes. Cheery was wise enough to remain silent. "'No weapons on the walls, do you notice?' he said after a while. His eyes were still shut, as if he was looking at a picture on the back of them. "'Most castles like that have things hanging all over the place.' "'Well, they are werewolves, sir. Does Angua ever talk about her parents?' "'No, sir.' "'They didn't want to talk about her, that's certain.' Vimes opened his eyes. "'Dwarfs?' he said. "'I've always got on with dwarfs. "'And werewolves? "'Well, never had a problem with werewolves. "'So why is the only person who hasn't tried to blow me out this morning "'the blood-sucking vampire?' "'I don't know, sir.' "'Big fireplace, they had. "'Werewolves like to sleep in front of the fire at night, sir,' said Cheery. "'The Baron certainly didn't seem comfortable in a chair.' I spotted that. And what was the motto carved into that great big mantelpiece? Homini, homo homini lupus, sir, said Cherry. It means every man is a wolf to another man. Ha! Why haven't I promoted you, Cherry? Because I get embarrassed about shouting at other people, sir. Sir, did you notice the strange thing about the trophies they had on the wall? Vimes shut his eyes again. Stag? "'Bears, some kind of mountain lion? "'What are you asking me, Corporal?' "'And did you notice something just below them?' "'Let's see. "'I think there was just space below them.' "'Yes, sir, with three hooks on it. "'You could just make them out.' "'Vimes hesitated. "'Do you mean,' he said carefully, three hooks that might have had trophies hanging from them "'until they were removed?' "'Very much that sort of hook, sir, yes. "'Only perhaps the heads haven't been hung up yet.' "'Troll's heads? Who knows, sir?' The coach entered the town. "'Cheery, have you still got that silver chainmail vest you used to have?' Eh, uh, no, sir, I stopped wearing it because it seemed a bit disloyal to Angua, sir. Why?' "'Just a passing thought. "'Oh, ye gods, is that Igor's parcel under the seat?' "'I think so, sir, but look, I know about Igor's. "'If that's a real hand, the original owner hasn't got a use for it, believe me.' "'What? He cuts bits off dead people?' "'Better than live people, sir. You know what I mean.' "'Sir, it's considered good manners if one of the Igors has helped you "'to put it in your will so that they can help themselves to any parts that might help someone else. "'They never ask for any money. People just carry little cards. "'They're very respected in Uberwald. "'Very good men with a scalpel and a needle. "'It's a kind of vocation, really. "'But they're covered in scars and stitches.' They won't do to anyone else what they're not prepared to try on themselves. Vimes decided to explore the full horror of this. It took his mind off the missing trophies. Are there any eagerinas, uh, eagerettes? Well, any eager is considered a good catch for a young lady. He is. And their daughters tend to be very attractive. Eyes at the same height, that sort of thing. Oh, yes. But the door, when it was finally opened in response to impatient knocking revealed not the switchback features of Igor, but the business end of Detritus's crossbow, which was marginally worse. "'It's us, Sergeant,' said Vimes. The crossbow was removed, and the door opened further. "'Sorry, sir, but you said I was to be on guard,' said Detritus. "'There's no need to—' "'Igor's been hurt, sir.' Igor was sitting in the huge kitchen, a bandage round his head. Lady Sybil was fussing over him. "'I went to look for him a couple of hours ago, and there he was, flat on the snow,' she said. She leaned closer to Vimes. He doesn't remember very much. Can you recall what you were doing, old chap? said Vimes, sitting down. Igor gave him a bleary look. Well, sir, I went out to unpack the foodstuffs from the other coach, and I'd just got hold of something, and then all the lights went out, sir. I reckon I must have slipped. Or someone ate you? Igor shrugged. For a moment, both of his shoulders were at the same level. "'There's nothing on the coach worth stealing,' said Lady Sybil. "'Not unless someone was dying for a knuckle sandwich,' said Vimes. "'Was anything taken?' "'I checked everything against the list her ladyship gave me, sir,' said Detritus, meeting Vimes's gaze. "'There wasn't anything missing, sir.' "'I'll just go and take a look for myself,' said Vimes. When they were outside, he walked over to the coach and looked at the snow around it. The cobbles were visible here and there. Then he looked up at the grating.' 
All right, Detritus, he said. Talk to me. Just a feeling, sir, rumbled the troll. I know Thick is my middle name. I didn't know you had a first name, Sergeant. I don't think this was one of them accidents that happens by accident. He might have fallen off the coach when he was unloading it, said Vimes. And I might be the fairy clinker bell, sir. Vimes was impressed. This was low-temperature thinking from Detritus. The street doors is open, said Detritus. I reckon Igor disturbed someone who was pinching stuff. But you said nothing was missing. Maybe the thief took fright, sir. What? But seeing Igor? Could be. Vimes looked at the bags and boxes. Then he looked again. Things had been thrown down any old how. That wasn't how you unpacked a coach, unless you were looking for something in a real hurry. Who'd go to these lengths to steal food? Nothing was missing, he rubbed his chin. Who packed the coach, Detritus? Dunno, sir. I think her ladyship just ordered a lot of stuff. And we left in a bit of a rush, too. Vimes stopped. Best to leave it there. He had an idea, but, well, where was the evidence? You could say, nothing that should have been there was missing. So what must have been taken was something that shouldn't have been there. No. For now, it was just something to remember. They walked into the hall, and Vimes's eye fell on a pile of cards on a table by the door. "'There's been a lot of visitors,' said Detritus. Vimes took a handful of cards. Some of them had gold edging. "'Dim diplomatics all want you to come for drinky-poos and stories about chickens,' the troll added helpfully. "'Cocktails, I think you'll find,' said Vimes, reading through the pasteboards. "'Hmm. Clatch, Muntab, Genua, Lanka. Lanka? It's a kingdom you could spit across. They've got an embassy here.' "'No, sir. Mostly they've got a letterbox.' "'Will we all fit in?' "'They've rented a house for the coronation, sir.' Vimes dropped the invitations back onto the table. "'I don't think I can face any of this stuff,' he said. "'A man can only drink so much fruit juice and listen to so many bad jokes. "'Where's the nearest Clax Tower, Detritus?' "'About fifteen miles hubwards, sir.' "'I'd like to find out what's going on back home. "'I think that this afternoon Lady Sybil and I will have a nice quiet ride in the country. "'It will take her mind off things.' "'Then he thought, "'I'll wait until midnight, see.' and it's still only lunchtime. In the end, Vimes took Igor as driver and guide, and the guards Tantony and the one he would forever think of as Colonescu. Skimmer still hadn't returned from whatever nefarious expedition was occupying his time, and Vimes was damned if he'd leave the embassy unguarded. Yet another word for diplomat, Vimes mused, was spy. The only difference was that the host governments knew who you were. The game was to outwit them, presumably. The sun was warm, the breeze was cold, the mountain air made every peak look as if Vimes could reach out and touch it. Outside the town, snow-covered vineyards and farms clung to slopes that in Ankh-Morpork would be called walls, but after a while the pine forests closed in. Here and there, at a curve in the road, the river was visible far below. Up on the box, Igor was crooning a lament. "'He told me Igor's heal very fast,' said Lady Sybil. "'They'd have to.' Mr. Skimmer said they're very gifted surgeons, Sam. Except cosmetically, perhaps. The coach slowed. Do you come up here a lot, Igor? said Vimes. Mr. Sleeps used to have me drive over once a week to collect methages, Master. I'd have thought it'd be easier to have a pickup tower in Bonk. The council are dead against it, sir. And you? I am very modern in my outlook, sir. The tower loomed quite close now. The first twenty feet or so were of stone with narrow barred windows. Then there was a broad platform from which the main tower grew. It was a sensible arrangement. An enemy would find it hard to break in or set fire to it. There was enough storage room inside to see out a siege, and the enemy would be aware that the lads inside would have signalled for help thirty seconds after the attack began. The company had money. They were like coaching agents in that respect. If a tower went out of action... Someone would be along to ask expensive questions. There's no law here. The kind of people who'd turn up would be inclined to leave a message to the world that towers were not to be touched. Everyone should know this, and therefore it was odd to see that the big signal arms were stationary. The hairs rose on Vimes's neck. Stay in the carriage, Sybil, he said. Is there something wrong? I'm not sure. 
said Vimes, who was sure. He stepped down and nodded to Igor. I'm going to have a look inside, he said. If there is any trouble, you're to get Lady Sybil back to the embassy, all right? Vimes leaned back into the coach and, trying not to look at Sybil, lifted up one of the seats and pulled out the sword he had hidden there. Sam, she said accusingly. Sorry, dear, I thought I ought to carry a spare. There was a bell pull by the door of the tower. Vimes tugged at it and heard a clang somewhere above. When nothing else happened, he tried the door. It swung open. Hello? There was silence. This is the what? Vimes stopped. It wasn't the watch, was it? It's not out here. The badge didn't work. He was just an inquisitive, trespassing bastard. Anyone there? The room was piled high with sacks, boxes and barrels. A wooden stairway led up to the next floor. Vimes climbed up into a combined bedroom and messroom. There were only two bunks, their covers pulled back. A chair was on the floor. A meal was on the table, knife and fork laid down carefully. On the stove, something had boiled dry in an iron pot. Vimes opened the firebox door and there was a woomph as the inrushing air rekindled the charred wood. And, from above, the chink of metal. He looked at the ladder and the trap door to the next floor. Anyone climbing it would be presenting their head at a convenient height for a blade or boot. Tricky, isn't it, Your Grace? said someone above him. You'd better come up. <coughs> Inigo? It's safe enough, Your Grace. There's only me here. <coughs> that counts as safe, does it? Vimes climbed the ladder. Inigo was sitting at a table, leafing through a stack of papers. Where's the crew? That, Your Grace, said Inigo, is one of the mysteries. <coughs> and the others are? Inigo nodded towards the steps leading upwards. See for yourself. The controls for the arms had been comprehensively smashed. Laths and bits of wire dangled forlornly from their complex framework. Several hours of repair work for skilled men, I'd say, said Inigo, as Vimes returned. What happened here, Inigo? I would say the men who lived here were forced to leave <coughs> in some disorder. But it's a fortified tower. And so they have to cut firewood. Oh, the company has rules, and then they put three young men in some lonely tower for weeks at a time, and they expect them to act like clockwork people. See the trapdoor up to the controls? That should be locked at all times. Now you, your grace, and myself as well, because we are, um, are, uh, Bastards? Vime supplied. Well, yes. <clears throat> We'd have devised a system that meant the clacks couldn't even be operated unless the trapdoor was shut, wouldn't we? Something like that, yes. And we'd have written into the rules that the presence of any visitor in the tower would <clears throat> be automatically transmitted to the neighbouring towers too. Probably, that would be a start. As it is, I suspect that any harmless-looking visitor with a nice fresh apple pie for the lads would be warmly welcomed, sighed Inigo. They do two-month shifts, nothing to look at but trees. <clears throat> no blood? Not much sign of a struggle, said Vimes. Have we checked outside? There should be a horse in the stable. It's gone. We're more or less on rock here. There's wolf tracks, but there's wolf tracks everywhere around here. And the wind's blown the snow. They've gone, Your Grace. Are you sure the men let someone in through the door? Vimes said. Anyone who could land on the platform could be in one of these windows in an instant. A vampire? <clears throat> it's a thought, isn't it? There's no blood around. It's a shame to waste good food, said Vimes. Think of those poor starving children in Muntab. What are these? He pulled a box from under the lower bunk. Inside it were several tubes about a foot long, open at one end. Badger and normal ank more pork, he read aloud. Mortar flare, red. Light fuse, do not place in mouth. It's a firework, Mr Skimmer. I've seen them on ships. Ah, there was something, Inigo leafed through the book on the table. They could send up an emergency flare if there was a big problem. Yes, the tower nearest Ankh Morpork will send out a couple of men, and a bigger squad comes up from the depot down on the plains. They take a downed tower very seriously. Yeah, well, it could cost them money, said Vimes, peering into the mouth of the mortar. We need this tower working, Inigo. I don't like being stuck out here. The roads aren't too bad yet. They could be here by tomorrow evening. I'm sure you shouldn't do that, sir. 
Vimes had pulled the mortar out of its tube. He looked at Inigo quizzically. They won't go off until you light the charge at the base, he said. They're safe. And they'd make a stupid weapon, because you can't aim them worth a damn, and they're only made of cardboard in any case. Come on, let's get it onto the roof. Not until dark, Your Grace. <clears throat> that way, two or three towers on each side will see it, not just the closest. But if the closest towers are watching, they'll certainly see... We don't know that there is anyone there to watch, sir. Perhaps what happened here has happened there, too. <clears throat> Good grief! You don't think... No, I don't think, sir. I'm a civil servant. I advise other people. <clears throat> then they think. My advice is that an hour or two won't hurt, sir. My advice is you should return with Lady Sybil now, sir. I will send up a flare as soon as it's dark and make my way back to the embassy. Hold on. I am commander in... Not here, Your Grace, remember? Here you are a civilian in the way. <clears throat> I'll be safe enough. The crew weren't. They weren't me. <clears throat> For the sake of Lady Sybil, Your Grace, I advise you to leave now. Fimes hesitated, hating the fact that Inigo was not only right, but was, despite his claim to mindlessness, doing the thinking that he should be doing. He was supposed to be out for an afternoon's drive with his wife, for heaven's sake. Well, all right. Just one thing, though. Why are you here? The last time Sleeps was seen, he was on his way up here with a message. Ah, and am I right in thinking that your Mr Sleeps was not exactly the kind of diplomat that hands round the cucumber sandwiches? Inigo smiled thinly. That's right, sir. He was the other sort. <clears throat> your sort. <clears throat> And now go, Your Grace. The sun will be setting soon. <clears throat> Corporal Nobbs, President and Convener of the Guild of Watchmen, surveyed his troops. All right, one more time, he said. What do we want? The strike meeting had been going on for some time, and it had been going on in a bar. The watchmen were already a little forgetful. Constable Ping raised his hand. Eh, a proper grievance procedure, a complaints committee, an overhaul of the promotion procedures, eh... Uh, Better crockery in the canteen, someone supplied. Freedom from unwarranted accusations of sucrose theft, said someone else. No more than seven days straight on nights. An increase in the boots allowance. At least three afternoons off for grandmother's funerals per year. Not having to pay for our own pigeon feed. Another drink. This last demand met with general approval. Constable Shoe got to his feet. He was still, in his spare time, organiser of the Campaign for Dead Rights, and he knew how this sort of thing went. No, 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 he said. You've got to get it a lot simpler than that. It's got to have bounce and rhythm. Like, what do we want, dumpty-dumpty? When do we want it now? See? You need one simple demand. Let's try it again. What do we want? The watchmen looked at one another. No one quite wanted to be the first. Another drink, someone volunteered. Yeah, said someone at the back. When do we want it? Now. Well, that one seems to have worked, said Nobby as the policemen crowded round the bar. What else are we going to need, Reg? Signs for the picket, said Constable Shoe. We've got to picket. Oh, yes. In that case, said Nobby firmly, we've got to have a big metal drum to burn old scrap wood in while we're picking at it. Why? said Reg. You've got to stand around warming your hands over a big drum, said Nobby. That's how people know you're an official picket and not a bunch of bums. But we are a bunch of bums, Nobby. People think we are anyway. All right, but let's be warm ones. The sun was a finger's width above the rim when Vimes's coach set off from the tower. Igor whipped the horses up. Vimes looked out of the window at the road's edge a few feet away and several hundred feet above the water. Why so fast? he shouted. Got to be home by sunset, Igor shouted. It's traditional. The big red sun was moving through bars of cloud. Oh, let him, dear, if it gives the poor soul pleasure, said Lady Sybil, shutting the window. Now, Sam, what happened at the tower? I don't really want to worry you, Sybil. Well, now that you've got me really worried, you may as well tell me, all right? Vimes gave in and explained the little that he knew. Someone's killed them? Possibly. 
The same people that ambushed us back at that gorge? I don't think so. This isn't turning out to be much of a holiday, Sam. It's being unable to do anything that makes me sick, said Vimes. Baggin' ain't more pork. Well, I'd have leads, contacts, some kind of map. Everyone here is, well, hiding something, I think. The new king thinks I'm a fool. The werewolves treated me as if I was something the cat dragged in. The only person who's been halfway civil was a vampire. Not the cat, said Sybil. What? said Vimes, mystified. Werewolves hate cats, said Sybil. I distinctly remember that. Definitely not cat people. Ha! No, dog people. They don't like words like bath or vet either. I reckon if you threw a stick at the baron, he'd leap out of his chair to catch it. I suppose I ought to tell you about the carpets, said Sybil as the coach rocked around a corner. What, isn't he house-trained? I meant the carpets in the embassy. You know I said I'd measure up for them. Well, the measurements aren't right on the first floor. I don't want to sound impatient, dear, but is this a carpet moment? Sam? Yes, dear? Just stop thinking like a husband and start listening like a... a copper, will you? Vimes marched into the embassy and summoned Detritus and Cheery. You two are coming with us to the ball tonight, he said. It'll be posh. Have you got anything to wear apart from your uniform, Sergeant? No, sir. Well, go and see Igor. There's a good man with a needle if I ever saw one. How about you, Cheery? Oh, I do have a gown, said Cheery, looking down shyly. You do? Yes, sir. Oh, well, good. I'm putting the two of you on the embassy staff too. Cheery, your... your military attaché. Oh, said Detritus, disappointed. And Detritus, your cultural attaché. The troll brightened up considerably. You will not regret this, sir. I'm sure I won't, said Vimes. Right now, I'd like you to come with me. Is this a cultural matter, sir? Broadly, perhaps. Vimes led the troll and Sybil up the stairs and into the office, where he stopped in front of a wall. This one? he said. Yes, said his wife. It's hard to notice until you measure the rooms, but that wall really is rather thick. Vimes ran his hands along the panelling, looking for anything that might go click. Then he stood back. Give me a crossbow, Sergeant. Here we are, sir. Vimes staggered under its weight, but managed to get it pointed at the wall. Is this wise, Sam? said Sybil. Vimes stood back to take aim, and the floorboard moved under his heel. A panel in the wall swung gently. You scared the hell out of it, sir, said Detritus loyally. Vimes carefully handed the crossbow back and tried to look as though he'd meant things to happen this way. He'd expected a secret passage, but this was a tiny workroom. There were jars on shelves labelled New Suet Strata, Area 21, Grade A Fat, The Big Hole. There were lumps of crumbling rock with neat cardboard tags attached to them saying things like Level 3 Shaft 9 Double Pick Mine. There was a set of drawers. One of them was full of makeup, including a selection of moustaches. Wordlessly, Vimes opened one of a stack of notebooks. The first pages had a pencil-drawn street map of Bionk, with red lines threading through it. Good grief, look at this, he breathed, flicking onwards. Maps? Drawings? There's pages of stuff about the assaying of fat deposits. Ha! It says here, The new suets, while initially promising, are now suspected of having high levels of BCBs and are likely to be soon exhausted. And here it says, A werewolf putsch is clearly planned in the chaos following the loss of the scone. K reports that many of the younger werewolves now follow W, who has changed the nature of the game. This stuff, this stuff is spying. I wonder how veterinary all seem to know so much. Did you think it came to him in dreams, dear? But there's loads of details here. Notes about people, lots of figures about dwarf mining production, political rumours. I didn't know he did this sort of thing. You use spies all the time, dear, said Sybil. I do not. Well, what about people like foul old Ron and No Way Jose and Cumbling Michael? That is not spying. That is not spying. That's just information received. We couldn't do the job if we didn't know what's happening on the street. Well, perhaps Havelock just thinks in terms of a bigger street, dear. There's loads more of this muck. Look, sketches, more bits of ore. What the hell's this? It was oblong and about the size of a cigarette packet. 
There was a round glass disc on one face and a couple of levers on one side. Vimes pushed one of them. A tiny hatch opened, and the smallest head he'd ever seen that could speak said, Yes. I know that, said Detritus. That's a nano-imp. They cost over a hundred dollars. They're really small. They was bloody fit me for a fortnight, the imp squeaked. It's an iconograph small enough to fit in a pocket, said Vimes. Something for a spy. It's as bad as Inigo's damn one-shot crossbow. And look! Steps led downwards. He took them carefully and swung open the little door at the end. Wet heat slapped into him. Pass me down a candle, will you, dear? he said. And by its light he looked out into a long, dank tunnel. Crusted pipes, leaking steam at every joint, lined the far wall. Away in and out, where no one will see him, too, he said. What a dirty world we live in. The clouds had covered the sky and the wind was whipping thick snowflakes around the tower when Inigo finished setting up the red mortar on the platform below the big square shutters. He lit a couple of matches, but the wind streamed them out before he could even cup his hands around them. Damn! <clears throat> he slid down the ladder and into the warmth of the tower. It'd be better to spend the night here, he thought, as he rummaged in the drawers. The nights didn't hold many terrors for him, but this storm had the feel of another big snow and the mountain roads would soon be treacherous. Finally, an idea struck him, and he opened the door of the stove and pulled out a smouldering log with the tongs. It burst into flame when he carried it out at the top of the tower, and he directed it into the touch hole at the base of the tube. The mortar fired with a fft that was lost in the wind. The flare itself tumbled invisibly up into the snow, and then a few seconds later exploded a hundred feet overhead, casting a brief red glare over the forests. Inigo had just got back into the room when there was a knock at the door down on the ground. He paused. There was a window and hatch at this level. The designers of the tower had at least known it would be a good idea to be able to look down and see who was a-knocking. There was no one there. When he'd climbed back into the room, the knock came again. He hadn't locked the door after Vimes went. A bit late to regret that now, he realised. But Inigo Skimmer had trained in an academy that made the school of hard knocks look like a sandpit. He lit a candle and crept down the ladder in the darkness, shadows fleeing and dancing amongst the stacks of provisions. With the candle set down on a box, he pulled the one-shot crossbow from inside his coat and, with an effort, cocked it against the wall. Then he flexed his left arm and felt the palm dagger ease itself into position. He clicked his heels in a certain way and sensed the tiny blade slide out from the toes and Inigo settled down to wait. Behind him, something blew the candle out. As he turned, and the crossbow's one bolt whirred into darkness, and the palm dagger scythed at nothing, it occurred to Inigo's skimmer that you could knock on either side of a door. They really were very clever. <clears throat> Cheery twirled, or at least attempted to. It was not a movement that came naturally to dwarfs. "'You look very nice,' said Lady Sybil. "'It goes all the way to the grind, too. "'I don't think anyone could possibly complain.' "'Unless they were remotely fashion-conscious,' she had to admit. "'The problem was that the... "'Well, she had to think of them as the new dwarf women "'hadn't quite settled on a look. "'Lady Sybil herself usually wore ball-gowns of a light blue.' a colour often chosen by ladies of a certain age and girth to combine the maximum of quiet style with the minimum of visibility. But dwarf girls had heard about sequins. They seemed to have decided in their bones that if they were going to overturn thousands of years of subterranean tradition, they weren't going to go through all that for no damned twinset and pearls. "'And red is good,' said Lady Sybil sincerely. "'Red is a very nice colour. It's a nice red dress. Er... Uh, and the feathers, um, the bag to carry your axe, er, uh, not glittery enough, said Cherry. No, no, if I was going to carry a large axe on my back to a diplomatic function, I think I'd want it glittery too. Er, uh, it is such a very large axe, of course, she finished lamely. You think perhaps a smaller one might be better for evening wear? That would be a start, yes. Perhaps with a few rubies set in the handle? Yes, 
said Lady Sybil weakly. Why not, after all? What about me, ladyship? Detritus rumbled. Igor had certainly risen to the occasion, applying to a number of suits found in the embassy wardrobes, the same pioneering surgical skills that he used on unfortunate loggers and other people who may have strayed too close to a bandsaw. It had taken him just ninety minutes to construct something around Detritus. It was definitely evening dress. You couldn't get away with it in daylight. The troll looked like a wall with a bow tie. "'How does it all feel?' said Lady Sybil, playing for safety. "'It are rather tight around, uh, what's this bit called?' "'I really have no idea,' said Lady Sybil. "'It makes me lurch a bit,' said Detritus, "'but I feel very diplomatic.' "'Not the crossbow, however,' said Lady Sybil. "'She got her axe,' said Detritus accusingly. "'Dwarf axes are accepted as a cultural weapon,' said Lady Sybil. "'I don't know the etiquette here, but I suppose you could get away with a club.' "'After all,' she added to herself, "'it's not as though anyone would try and take it off you.' "'The crossbow ain't cultural.' "'I'm afraid not.' "'I could put, you like, glitter on it.' "'Not enough, I'm afraid. "'Oh, Sam?' "'Yes, dear?' said Vimes, coming down the stairs. "'That's just your watch-dress uniform. What about your ducal regalia?' "'Can't find it anywhere,' said Vimes innocently. "'I think the bag must have fallen off the coach in the past, dear. "'But I've got a helmet with feathers in it, and Igor's buffed up the breastplate until he could see his face in it, though I'm not sure why.' He quailed at her expression. "'Duke is a military term, dear. No soldier would ever go to war in tights. Not if he thought he might be taken prisoner.' "'I find this highly suspicious, Sam.' "'Detritus will back me up on this,' said Vimes. "'That's right, sir,' the troll rumbled. "'You distinctly said to say that... "'Anyway, we'd better be going... "'Good grief, is that Cheery?' "'Yes, sir,' said Cheery nervously. "'Well,' thought Vimes, "'she comes from a family where people go off in strange clothes "'to face explosions far away from the sun.' "'Very nice,' he said.' 